What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Mo back with another episode of Up in Flames. I got a special guest today. You've heard him on the podcast before. It's been a while. We haven't had a lot of conversations. Did a little bit of catching up before, you know, we started recording this show. But I got my guy, K. Lou. K. Lou, how you doing today? What's going on? What's going on? Everything's good. Everything's lovely. Blessed on this uh, Easter Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So can't wait to chop it back up with you. It's been a while and they yeah. finally freed KDOT. So we <laughs> get ready to get it popping. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, before we get into a few of the topics we want to talk about today, I'm going to just give you the floor, you know, remind everybody you've been on the podcast before, you know, remind everybody just what you do and kind of how we were able to link together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what up, what it is, what's popping? It's your boy KDOT and I am your host of Hoopers Unhailed, the podcast, the original uh, story behind Hoopers Unhailed. It was supposed to be an eight episode series just profiling you know unheralded unhailed hoopers who you may have uh figured out or may have known but not really kind of figured out their entire story and now um it's picked up a lot of steam to a point where i'm doing a season two and instead of doing the eight episodes i actually did 10 episodes for season one and I'll be doing season two. Um, there's been so much love, so much reaction towards Hoopers Unhailed. And, you know, I'm, I feel very blessed to kind of be that person to kind of share the stories. Um, I've had, you know, good. I have great guests, you know, from Zachary Ramey, from Daniel Artest, from Sylvia Crawley, which was a great one because we did a two part um, episode. Uh, Christina Williams of Girls Talk Sports TV, Maria Laterza. Um, Ashley Battle, um, uh, so many, so many great hosts. Um, Justina Knight, Jada Jefferson. I mean, it was it was amazing. And you know, if I if I've missed anyone, um, you know, please, you know, take it, you know, take it for love because I I definitely don't want to forget anybody. But you know, I'm gonna have a lot lot more guests on the show. Um, you know, I'm talking to a few people. Um, that that's going to be, you know, in for season two. Um, oh yeah. Let me, let me, I, I don't want to forget um, Monica Hanna as well. Shout out to her. Um, but what I did was, you know, especially with profiling, you know, the men of the show, um, I wanted to make it special in March because March was uh women's history month. So I dedicated all of March to focus on our powerful women, mm -hmm. you know, in the industry. Um, and, it was, you know, it was a good, good experience. So, um, you know, basically what I'm doing now is um, I'm, I'm with uh, this media group called 265 Media. Um, the founder and uh, CEO is, of course, Daniel Artest. And, you know, we've been just pushing out so many shows. Um, we've been creating so much content uh, between uh, real basketball talk, no hot takes to we now have the NBA show, the NCAA show, and now we have the WNBA show. So, you know, we've been pushing out a lot of content and, you know, it's been fun, man. It's been fun, you know, um, you know, more power and, and shout out to my man, um, DA, you know, for, for believing in a guy like me, you know, to, to actually, you know, help out and, and do some of the producing and everything, you know, for some of the shows that we've been doing. Um, because, you know, just just like I've been saying, you know, I'm somebody who's really what was a nobody um, at, at one point. Um, just everybody knew me from Twitter. You know, now, you know, um, I've, I've I guess you can say uh, K. Lou 
um, K-Dot has become kind of like a household name within the basketball world. And I'm truly blessed and humbled, you know, to, to be a part of such illustrious groups of, of like-minded people. So, you know, and, and especially, you know, with you guys, shout out to, to the Off the Ball Network with Chris, with you, with, with SG, you know, and the other and the other people in the crew, you know, shout out to y'all because, you know, like like I say, you know, like-minded people always, you know, big up each other. So, um, you know, I've always been blessed to to kind of have you guys, you know, big us up. And then, of course, we big you guys up, you know. So, you know, there's every there's there's every opportunity in this world for all of us to eat. So I'm, I'm glad to have you guys, you know, um, you know, a part of this whole basketball family. So, you know, that's that's what I've been doing, man. That's what I've been, you know, trying to keep up with. And, you know, I can't wait, you know, to, to dive into this conversation that we that we're getting ready to have. So let's get it. Yeah, 100 percent. So a lot of what you said leads into the first topic. So like you said, March just ended Women's History Month. Hoopers on Hell had a, a, a few good guys and a lot of great women. So what I want to talk about is what you and D.A. and Zach, what y'all have done with 265 Media and pushing the women empowerment, the, the the exposure for women's sports, WNBA. Y'all been huge on covering, you know, the NCAA women's basketball tournament that just ended. You know, we got a winner tonight, the national champion, Stanford. Shout out to Stanford. Um, but I kind of want to get into that because it's so big. We're in a time now, you know, obviously I think we're in a, it's time for the minorities to take over. And when I say that, is especially in sports. I say that in sports because you think about it, the minorities take over the field, they take over the court. You know, those are the the, the legendary, they're, you know, they're on the court. They take over the, the household names. They take over on the field. But we lack in powerful positions. We lack in, you know, head coaching. We lack in, in management. We lack in a lot of things. And so right now I feel like it's time for the minorities to take over Y'all have done that first off as minority podcasters, you know, and, and guys. But on top of that, y'all brought attention to women's sports. Now, a lot of people who may not be on Twitter but listen to this don't understand that that's where it starts. It starts with people like you, people like me, Zach, DA, Chris, everybody in small, you know, small-time guys giving that attention. The guys who we only got 40, 50, 60 people listening to us right now, but all it takes is for us to link with that one you know, so just tell us a little bit about the inspiration in covering women's sports and, you know, kind of your journey in the short time that y'all have made it big time. Just just tell me how you got into all that and what drives you to continue to do that. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Um, it all stems, you know, from the people I've met, you know, on on Clubhouse and, and on Locker Room. You know, it, it's it's all it all stems from that. And, you know, one one person, you know, that that's a part of this and, and is a pivotal part of it. And I got to give her a big shout out is Jada Jefferson. You know, with her, you know, I, I did, you know, episode three, if I'm not mistaken, with her on Hooper's Unhailed. And, you know, you know, she was just giving me the real. And she ended up introducing me to Sylvia Crawley, Coach Sylvia Crawley. Who's um you know who's world renowned as you know uh, the 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 player from from the '94 North Carolina championship team, mm -hmm. um she she's also been 
you know, the pivotal, uh, she's also played pivotal parts in, in, you know, the WNBA, the, uh, the former, uh, ABL. And she's the one who did the famous blindfold dunk back in 98. And, you know, when I, you know, when I was introduced to coach Crawley, you know, that was something that was special because, you know, she opened up a whole new lane, you know, for me, even though I was a huge fan of women's basketball, she just opened up that a whole new lane for me. And that was something that was big. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I also um, met Christina Williams, founder of Girls Talk Sports TV. And what she would do was she would have weekly women's basketball talks and she would, you know, bring in, you know, some of the WNBA um uh, faithful, some of the uh, WNBA players. Um, everything was just um, amazing the way she she handles herself. Um, she's very big in, in journalism and in media. So you know when I was able to to be introduced to her, you know we actually started chopping it up a little bit. And she will also host NCAA women's basketball watch parties. Um, and the one the first one that I participated in was the famous uh, UConn versus South Carolina game. And I believe that was back in like Jan February, January or February. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, you know, we were just chopping it up. And it came to a point where DA and I, we were both participating in, in these in these rooms and we've been introduced to these amazing women. And we say, you know what? We need to create a room for ourselves to talk about the same um, WNBA news that, that Christina um, has been talking about. So what I did was um, I was able to collaborate with Christina and um, she was very happy to do so. And on our Real Basketball Talk No Hot Takes room that occurred back then on Thursdays, you know, we highlighted the WNBA mm -hmm. and it became huge. I'm talking about we had like, I, I want to say it was, it was close to, it, it was, at least like 500, you know, people that just tuned in and in and out of that conversation, WNBA players started getting in, um, involved in the conversation. I remember Katie Smith being in the room that, that night. I remember Sue Bird just listening in. Um, and there was a, a, a slew of other uh, WNBA players that just came in and listened in. So what we did was we decided, you know what, the women's game isn't getting enough love. And, whatever love that they were getting, they're only highlighting a certain amount of players. So what we decided to do was we decided to go ahead and start creating podcasts that will literally talk about the women's game because what's, you know, what's going to happen, you know, for, for people not to listen to the women's game, but they're all over the men's game. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's already an oversaturated market in the men's game and, not enough, uh, not enough stories are being told about our, our strong, beautiful women. So we said, you know, let's go ahead and create that. And, and we did create it. We were able to uh, start um, within the tournament. Uh, we were able to start in the first round. Uh, we did a whole uh, show about the first two rounds. And then we uh, kind of mixed it up a little bit um, between the men and the women to give them a little more light. Um, within the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. And then we started just doing reaction shows um, after the Final Four. 
And, you know, ultimately, you know, we're going to do a, a reaction show to the national championship. Um, but in between that, again, I have to give credit to Christina Williams because she, um, you know, reached, she, she reached out to me and we talked about um, being a co-host to, um, uh, to, to the, to the watch parties. And, mm -hmm. you know, that just catapulted from there. So that's how we actually got involved into, you know, doing the whole um, women's segment. Yeah. So with that, why, and you know, from, from a man's perspective and I, I'll give a little insight on mine. So what's crazy growing up, huge basketball fan, NBA, you know, college basketball, all that. The first ever basketball game I actually went to was the Seattle Storm game. So, you know, like that, my first ever basketball game I ever attended was a WNBA game. But why is it that you think, you know, I grew up on, I had my favorite NBA players, but I also had my favorite WNBA players. I loved, you know, Shamika Coleslaw, Monique Coleman. Like, there, there, was, there was a few, Sue, obviously, you know, Sue Bird, legendary, Diana Taurasi, you know, legendary. Everybody knows, you know, Lisa Leslie is a household name. Candace Parker, a household name. But, you know, I had dove deep into a lot of the women point guards, you know, growing up playing that. Why is it that you think women, and, and I don't, I, I want to make sure I ask the right question. It's true. They deserve more attention. But why is it that instead of just giving the support and giving the attention, it almost comes off that like, they're begging for something, like not begging, but they're they're asking for something that they deserve in a sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I want begging, I feel like is the wrong term this, but that's what other people look at it as. But all it all it is is I feel like them bringing attention to the sport and they have to beat it, you know, more so than the NBA player. All the NBA player gotta do is tie his shoes on, go out there and play the game, and millions of people are gonna watch. Right. But women, they have to tie their shoes on, play the game, worry about, I don't want to say worry, but they have to focus on the attention that they're not getting, but the talent is there. The excitement is there. You look at the women's national championship, 54 to 53, down to the wire. You look at the upsets. We talk about some of the upsets in the men's tournament, and we highlight those, you know, the, the Oral Roberts making it to the Sweet 16. There's so many things, but what about, like, UConn getting upset in the Final Four? Why is it that they just, they can't get the attention? They have to sit here and plead and ask for attention that they deserve, money that they deserve. I get, we can't say revenue is everything, but why is it that they have to sit here and feel like, they have to feel like they're begging for something that they earned in a sense? Well, well, here's the thing. So with, with, the, with, with the women, you know, just like you said, the, the game is just as just as exciting you know it's certain people and when i say this i'm going to be disrespectful mm -hmm. and i'm not going to apologize for it the casual fan doesn't they just don't want to see women play and it's mm -hmm. almost to a point where it's misogynistic so if the casual fan doesn't want to see them play then they they just don't want to see them play but again it's going to be up to guys like myself guys like you guys like da guys like zach to continue to push the envelope for our for our women 
and our women in sports because if if the casual isn't going to watch it then you know obviously somebody wants to watch it so for us we we have to continue to push the envelope and and do things like cover you know the un the unknowns and, and they're not really unknown they're just you know they're just players that you just never heard about because nobody covers them mm-hmm. you know we have these these huge media outlets like ESPN for example and she's a great player but all they talk about is Paige Beckers that's all they talk about yep. and then you turn around when the tournament comes along everybody's on Twitter talking about um Caitlin Clark and Caitlin Clark has been doing it all season long but guess what because she's on ESPN and because people talking about it on Twitter ESPN is going to give her a profile yeah so again it's not the it's not the fact it's just the idea that the casual fan just for some reason they don't en- they just don't enjoy good basketball they just enjoy mm-hmm. drama they want they want to hear they want to hear the storyline they want mm-hmm. to hear the drama and that's it they do yeah. not enjoy good basketball because even if we talk about the men's game, a casual fan will sit there and troll you left and right, knowing good and well that they're wrong about something that they have no idea what they're looking at. They yeah. just want to look at entertainment. Everything, mm-hmm. for some reason, is a, is worth entertainment value. And until we get to a space where our women is kind of put in that same category to add entertainment to the game, Mm-hmm. then it's, it's going to be the same old, same old. And that's unfortunate. And one thing that I like to do is I like to tell those stories. I like to paint that picture because, you know, these women have incredible lives outside of basketball. Mm-hmm. Like not only that they can they can play, but they have they have amazing things um that that they can that they can bring to the table that's outside of the game. And just like how NBA inside stuff was was hot back in the day, like you can do the same thing for the women's game. We don't see that. I don't know why, but we don't see that. And you know what? I do know why. It's because us as men and the people in the higher ups, they're not investing in it. They think that is boring. They think that is something that is not worth the money to, to to spend and I totally disagree with that. But for for our women to have to constantly talk about how reputable they are and how good they are, it's kind of getting sad because as a kid, I've always loved the WNBA. As a kid, I've always loved just basketball, period, whether it was men or women. And the reason why I love that so much is because I had women to raise me on the women's game versus the men's game. So for me, basketball is just a way of life, whether you're playing it as a man or whether you're playing it as a woman, it just doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. I remember Dawn Staley at Virginia as a little kid. You know, I remember, you know, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon at Louisiana tech as a kid. And then, just suddenly when they come when they come about in the WNBA, now Teresa Weatherspoon is with the New York Liberty. And I'm even though I'm, you know, I'm a New Yorker at heart, but you know, raised in South Carolina, that's a squad that I would love to see because Teresa mm-hmm. Weatherspoon is on the squad. And then when you have, you know, the Houston Comets to come in their first three uh years of the WNBA winning the WNBA championship, now suddenly they're disbanded and like 
there's no more Houston Comets. Like, how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. They began dynasties in the yeah. WNBA, and they don't even have a team anymore. So that's stuff. It's stuff like that where we have to continue to invest in the mm-hmm. WNBA. And another thing about the WNBA itself, we're only 25 years in. Mm-hmm. The NBA 25 years in was nothing like the NBA 75 years in. Of course. So we have to also understand that from a revenue perspective, we're getting there in the WNBA, but it's just not going to be as reputable right now as the NBA. So we got to stop. We also have to stop comparing, you know, a league that's 25 years old to a league that's 50 years um, older than, than they are. I mean, we're talking about 75 years to 25 years, you know, and, and we gotta, we gotta stop doing that. And we, we do live in a world where we compare just way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it, it gets to, it gets to a point where, you know, like what, what's, you know, who, who are you going to compare, you know, now, you know, once all the comparisons are over, like who else you're going to compare any game to? So we got to stop doing that. And we have to allow the WNBA to shine on its own and continue to grow. I mean, the CBA that occurred last year or the year before last, if I'm not mistaken, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're getting to a point where, you know, is going to be equity um, in the league. Um, we, we got now you have the, the rookie scale, um, they they'll be able to make you know between sixty and, and eighty thousand uh, dollars coming in. You know when that first happened, I mean that that was between like I think as a rookie, and, and I could be completely wrong by the numbers, but as a rookie, I believe you started off if you depending on what tier you was, you started off at like forty thousand. You know they they've just negotiated to double that, and that's that's awesome. Um, and one thing about about the league is, you know, because there's such a huge overseas following of women's basketball, you know, I feel like um, a- another way to help spruce it up is, you know, create create more rivalries, you know, create that storyline because everybody talks about a storyline. And the, the most unfortunate thing about the WNBA is, you know, you want to you want to talk great storyline. You know, and I feel like in some cases, me as an avid follower, you do have some of those storylines. But again, some of those storylines is something that ESPN will, will pull up, you know, and then they'll just hit rewind and just continue to do it. No, there are tons of other storylines within the WNBA and within women's college basketball that you can help profile. Stop just doing the same old thing. And when it when it gets to a point where we can have that for our women, then the WNBA and, and women's basketball um, as a whole will be in such a better place. I mean, you take a look at it. I'm going to just go back to the grassroots level. You see on television on primetime the McDonald's All-Americans. Like, mm-hmm. you see that on primetime. But guess what? When they profile the women, the game comes on, like, ESPNU at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Come on, man. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a way to stagger or even allow the the women to play at first, you know, during during uh, during the uh, during prom time, and then allow the you know allow the boys to do their thing, 
you know, mm-hmm. but again, you know, it's all about is all about the disparities and we don't have a lot of parity when it comes to showcasing the women and we need more parity in that. And that's yeah. that's how that's how, you know, it'll be able to allow the casual fan to see, oh, well, these women know how to play and mm-hmm. they are exciting in doing it. We take a look yeah. at the, the, the ratings for for the final four in the women's, you know, I'm talking about bumped up like. Two million, you know, by two million viewers compared to to other, you know, to the to the men's, you know mm-hmm. that I mean that's something amazing, and I mean we had great Final Four games, you know, yeah. and we also had a great national championship game tonight. So, you know, yeah. that's how we're going to be able to do it. And thank God, honestly, sometimes you know, um, you you look at what's been going on in the past year with the pandemic. Everybody is just stuck to to, to media outlets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's allowed um, us to watch how great these uh, these women uh, players are. And mm-hmm. it's going to give them a chance to expand more as far as, you know, TV deals and and the, the what the viewer would like to see. Because, I mean, it like I said, Final Four in the National Championship game were, were games for the ages. Yeah. I'm talking about the South Carolina Stanford game and I'm talking about the Arizona Yukon game. So many storylines behind it. And then when you turn around and look at Stanford and Arizona tonight, I mean Ari McDonald, oh my God. Like yeah. she's been killing it. And for her to for that game to go down to the wire and missed off of a of a back rim uh off the left hand off the left shot. I mean, that's something incredible. I mean, my heart, my heart hurt for uh for Aerie tonight. Yeah. But I mean, again, that makes for great television. That makes for great basketball. So let's do that. Let's yeah. as men, let's invest more in our women by watching the game and talking about the game. Yeah. So, you know, kind of something that like you hinted towards um with with what you said, and it, it made me think marketability. So we make these NBA athletes marketable. We buy their jerseys. We buy their shirts. We buy the team gear. So first off, I think the WNBA could do a better job as the WNBA, whoever runs it, not the players, but making their players marketable. The the jersey sales. You can't just walk into a champs and get a WNBA jersey. But you can walk in. That What amazes me is you can't get theirs just walking. But you can walk in champs and get a Kevin Durant Supersonics jersey. Like, how outdated is that jersey? And we call it a throwback. But I can't walk in and get a Diana Taurasi jersey. I can't walk in and get a, you know, uh, Lisa Leslie throwback Los Angeles Sparks jersey. So I think marketability, and, and when I go that route, I want to go a little deeper is there's platforms that make women marketable as women. And when I say that I'm talking about, obviously we have IG models. We have only fans that men are paying for and you know, whatever is done on there. But what I'm saying is it makes women marketable. Why is that type of idea? Why isn't that type of idea of making women marketable? used in the WNBA, but not in the same fashion. Like you will promote a good looking female who will have millions of followers. You will promote a woman who's, 
who's willing to expose herself, you will promote that and make her hundreds of thousands of dollars. But why not with that same mindset, you take her, her beauty out of it. You take her body out of it, but you take her skill, her, whatever skill set these women have as players. And why are they not marketable? Why are we not seeing women, more women basketball players on commercials? Why like all these women products, and we're not seeing WNBA players on it. Like, why are they not? These women are athletes. You will put LeBron James on a deodorant commercial. Why are you not putting Skylar Diggins on a Dove commercial? Why is Skylar Diggins or, and I, I go to say, you know, the bigger players, because that's where it starts. You have to, you can't start small and expect everybody to know. But, you know, Skylar Diggins, one of the most well-known basketball players in the world right now, uh, you know, based off her beauty and her talent. Why is Diana Taurasi not on a secret commercial? You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, we're talking about legends who we've seen here and there. Why is Sue, Bur why does Sue Bird not have her own shoe? And I get it. Yeah, most men might not wear it, but them little girls that grow up playing ball, why can they not get some Sue Birds? You know what I'm saying? The same way it means everything for us to wear some LeBron, some Jordans. Why, why are they not trying that? They haven't, everybody says, well, it's not going to make money. But they haven't even taken that step. Why do you think that is? It's the people who run the conglomerates. Yeah. That that is it's just as plain and simple as that. The people that run the conglomerates. And it's and again, it's unfortunate because just like you, I would want to see Diana Tarazi in a commercial. I would want to see Scholar Diggins Smith in a commercial. I would want to see Sue Bird in a commercial. I would want to see Brittany Griner in a commercial, Cheyenne Parker, Courtney yeah. Williams. You know, I was I would love to see Aneka Abumake. Cheney is the first woman to get a, a full feature commercial, you know, since God knows how long. You know, Probably with Lisa DoorDash. Leslie, when you, you know, really think about yeah, it. Yeah, since yeah, since even going back to the early two thousands. So it's the people running these conglomerates that are that are doing it. And I can tell you this. The women have been working so hard to tell their stories, but you have people that are telling them, oh, it's not a good look. I don't know why they're telling them it's not a good look, but Angel McCartry, she has plenty of stories to tell, and she has a media company where she's trying to produce, she's trying to do um, all of these good things, and she keeps getting turned down. Devereaux Peters, the same thing. She has her own production company and stuff, and she just continues to get turned down. I have no idea why I have no idea why these conglomerates are, are doing this, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's just crazy just to think about it. So with, with all that being said, you know what I'm saying? Before we move on, you know, everybody go to manscape.com, use promo code up in flames to get your 20% off. Plus your free shipping, you know, had to throw the shameless plug out there, but now I, I do want to move on and I want to talk about, Jalen Suggs and did he make the right decision so when I say that obviously we know Jalen Suggs is going to be a top pick in the draft but we also know he was one of the best quarterbacks in high school football so what I want to bring up is put yourself in his shoes you could be a two-sport athlete or you have to pick one or the other you you one of the best quarterbacks coming out of high school you're also one of the best basketball players. What sport do you pick to ultimately go to college? You look at some of the offers. He was down to football to being the quarterback for Ohio State or Notre Dame. And then obviously he went to Gonzaga for basketball. 
So you're Jalen Suggs. What decision do you make? Yo, I'm a whew, that's tough. And take the bias of you being a hooper out the window. That's see, that's why I say it's tough. Yeah, you gotta take that's the bias why I said out it's and tough. Just... So look looking at the whole dynamics of it, um to for me, I think I go back to Charlie Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosman uh, winning quarterback for Florida State mm-hmm. and saw how and when you look at how things panned out for him, I know he was undersized and compared to Jalen Suggs, that's nothing. But if I'm looking at it from a longevity perspective, I might want to still stick with basketball mm-hmm. just because of the longevity and the long money that it comes with. We're talking about super max where you can get up to $230 million right now. Mm -hmm. There's no way you're touching that. Even if you're a max player in the NFL, you sure I I think I'm, I'm pretty sure because listen, if you look at it, you look at the Patrick Mahomes deal, right? Mm -hmm. His deal is how much 10 years, basically with it, with incentives, before incentives is like four hundred seventy million. With incentives is five hundred million. I think yeah. one hundred and thirty something guaranteed. I I don't remember the exact dynamic of his hold, but one hundred thirty something guaranteed, regardless from from signing. And then it was like with incentives, pl- over forward over five hundred million dollars. All right. So just a, just what you just said, one hundred and thirty million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Guess what I can do with that in the W in the in the NBA. In the NBA as a supermax, all that money's guaranteed. Yeah. All of it. So I'm just looking, and then on top of that, again, longevity. I know that in some cases, one play in, one play of basketball can alter your entire one injury in basketball can alter it. But when you look at how violent that football is, it could potentially be much worse. And yeah. If you look at it, um, and and if you also look at it from a pension, um, and and retirement perspective, I, I I kind of will lean towards the NBA. I think they have may, maybe a better maybe a better way, um, to help with the pension with other things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, NBA Top Shot with the NFTs is is like hot right now. Yeah, they're already trying to figure out ways to negotiate money for uh for nfts or for top shots or for moments to be rewarded to those previous players once they start doing their old moments so mm-hmm. for example the if let's say if uh alan Iverson wanted to do the the walk over tyron lou you know yeah. make that a moment you know there will be some money in there for him because uh, you know Obviously, you know, that's one of the most um, iconic moments in, in NBA Finals history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, do we have that for the NFL? Not right now. I mean, they right. might have something, you know, up up the alley or up their sleeves, but like not right now. So when you look at the long game, you know, I think Jalen Suggs would, would be kind of better off, you know, as mm-hmm. a point guard um, playing um, in the NBA than he would as a quarterback playing for the NFL. You know, because even though he was talented 
on, on both levels. I just feel like, you know, the the idea of the long game from a from a financial perspective will probably do him better in the NBA than it would the NFL. And I can even give you one more before we go to the next subject. When all those NFL guys was on Twitter talking about, damn, who is this player? Mm-hmm. Uh, like like them role three and D players that were getting a hundred million. Timothy Mozgov, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Got a, like eighty million dollars, four right. years, eighty million dollars. Right. So you know these football players came on Twitter was like, damn man, damn, I, I think I chose the wrong sport. Like yeah. when you do that, when you do that, that's when you know the long game is a little bit, just a little bit better um, in the NBA than it is the NFL. So. That's that's how I'm looking at it. Um, just from you know, just from a money perspective, from a yeah. you know, from a long term perspective. Um, you know, I, I personally think Jalen uh, made the right decision. I mean, yeah. he's already iconic uh, with yeah. that shot. I mean, with the shot. I mean, so <laughs> here's the problem I have with that, and I don't have a problem. School with me, I school think, me on I it. Think though Jalen sucks. No, I agree with you, but the problem I have is. There's a lot of, I don't want to say there's a lot of Jalen Suggs out there because we're talking about a special basketball player who was a special football player. But the problem is football has to do something. I don't know what they could do. Um, You know, because when you talk about money, NBA makes less than the NFL annually. But when you factor 15 players instead of 55 on the roster, you talk about practice squad. Facts. Talk about their their coaches. I think get paid a little more. I think NFL coaches get paid a little more than NBA. I could be wrong, but I think it's a little more. College football coaches get paid almost as much as NBA, especially when you talk about the Nick Sabans, the Urban Myers, you know, the the Bob Stoops, the Lincoln Rileys, those kind of guys. Um, but foot, my opinion is Jalen Suggs did make the right decision, like you said, longevity. Everybody's not Tom Brady and gonna play football for no twenty years at a at a Super Bowl winning level. Like you want to talk about longevity? Well, yeah, I can throw you Tom Brady, and that's one guy. You could throw me LeBron James, but then you could throw me that Michael Jordan was still able to play even with the Washington Wizards and be competitive. Kobe Bryant was still able to continue to play and be competitive. You look at Lamarcus Aldridge at thirty five. Um, you know, you look at some of these older guys. Ray Allen was able to contribute to a championship late, late into his career, coming out of you know, coming out of the '90s, and able to compete for a championship in 2013 and be a, a true factor in a championship. You don't see that. I mean, the longevity of an NFL player is, I think, overall the average is like three years, four. Yeah, years. three years. Yeah, mm-hmm. three years. So, but the. I'm not saying because football is doing a lot more to make it as safe as possible. At the end of the day, it's a violent sport. Nobody wants to watch the NFL if it becomes a flag football league. That's just not going to be interesting. But they lose these kind of athletes. They lose these Jalen Suggs, these guys who, you know, like you look at, I go back to Terrell Pryor. I think he made the wrong decision playing football. And he, in a sense, he was in the same you know, he was the number three small forward in the country. He was the number one quarterback in the country. He went to Ohio State, played quarterback. You look at him now, where's he at? You know what That's I mean? A fact. Like he didn't he 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 back up quarterback. A lot of things happened in his transition from Ohio State to the NFL, but ultimately he had to get moved to receiver to even be a contribution on the field. 
But you look at that and you look back at that instance, you'd be like, he made the wrong decision. The number three small forward in the country, more often than not, he's going to the NBA. That college basketball has the one and done rule. I only have to go to school one year to get these millions. You look at Ben Simmons. He didn't even go to class. He, he technically would have been ineligible his sophomore year. But he knew I only got to, you know, I only got to pass the first semester after that. I'm, I'm looking at these millions. Then you look at the NBA, the G League. They have the G League Ignite team. They're doing all these programs, Puma, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Now they're starting to have programs for these guys who are 17 years old and they're paying them $500,000 with, with the internship, teach them business and fully focus on basketball. They're paying them, you know, Puma's paying a guy a million dollars to come over here, get, get a stake, like, you know, get a stake into the business, learn some business stuff and fully focus on basketball. Football has to do something or there's going to be, there's going to continue to be other Jalen Suggs out there that. They could be, Jalen Suggs could be the next Patrick Mahomes, but you won't know that because he's just as equally good in basketball and basketball has a lot more to offer. A one and done at 19, I can make millions of dollars. I could play 15 to 16 years. Now, granted, you know, the average NBA career realistically is about seven years, six or seven years when we, you just talk about overall and everybody, but you still six or seven years as opposed to three. Right. I'm going to make twice as much in my six or seven years now where I feel like he fell. He'd be a quarterback. He'd go to college and be a quarterback. He'd come out, come out of college. The expectation would be to, for him to be a quarterback. He actually played in football, the highest paid position, obviously the field general. We look at all these guys, the Mahomes deal, the Dak Prescott deal, you know, getting North of 40 million a year. Where you look at what some of these NBA players, Dak Prescott played what? Four years, four years right. before and, and now he gets $40 million. He played five years, and now he gets $40 million a year. NBA players, they're probably not getting $40 million a year. They will now. You know, it's it's going up by the year. Right. After year four, year five, them 200 something million dollar contracts is more so for the veterans, the guys who stay with their team, you know, the Steph Currys, James Harden, LeBron James. First off, the deserved superstars, but then the guys – you know, the t- once you've been in the league 10 years, you're eligible for 200. I think it's about like $240 million at this point. You uh, look at yeah. the deal Giannis signed. But I feel like football has to do something or you're going to continue to lose these top athletes that could go one way or the other. Most guys don't play both sports. And when they lean one way or the other, a lot more guys, especially now, lean towards basketball. That has to be a problem for football because a lot of guys – Play both sports. You know, Facts. you look at Donovan McNabb, Julius Peppers, um, Aaron Hernandez. You know, when he came out of high school, he played both. A lot of these guys do play both sports. Terrell Pryor, uh, yep. Jalen Waddle, you know, Tyler Antonio Hill, Gates. Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez. And these dudes were like impacts on the basketball court. Right. They chose football. But they were ultimately better at football. But when you're talking about I could be a star in football or a star in basketball, which one am I going to choose? There's so many more incentives to choose basketball. So I do think I can't say that football has to have a one and done rule because it's a lot more violent sport. And those 19 year old guys are not ready to go against them seasoned veteran grown men. You know, the argument back in the day when Maurice Claret, when he wanted he felt like he was NFL ready. After his freshman year, the point is, are you talented enough to play in the NFL? Yes, but is your 19-year-old body 
ready to take that kind of beating that you're about to take going against Ray Lewis and Brian Erlacher and Troy Polamalu. So I do think Jalen Suggs picked, I think he made the right decision, but I do think there has to be something done or else you're going to constantly see these. And Jalen Suggs might be the number one pick in the draft. And that's ultimately because he decided for basketball. But what can football do to ultimately convince you to play football instead of basketball when you could be a star in both? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, and so that's that was just my thing. I just wanted to touch base on that just a little bit. I kind of knew. I felt like you were going to say basketball. I feel like most people will say he chose the right sport and should choose basketball. But, like, my thing is just the why. Like, and, you know, it's the longevity. It's what basketball has to offer that football doesn't. Yeah, so, I it, it, and I get it um, because – like I said, like for me, I always think about the long game and mm-hmm. I I totally I think Jalen Suggs, either way, he was going to be successful. Right. Um I, I think just uh when when you have certain people in your corner, um, especially, you know, with some somebody as 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 high as Jalen Suggs is gonna be in the draft, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it, it got to a situation where and even, you know, when you talk talk about it a uh, with, with his parents, probably they're probably thinking, okay, here's our scenario: you can be a four-year, you know, you can be a, a three-year guy at Notre Dame or uh, Ohio State, mm-hmm. or you can be a one-year guy here, potentially get yourself a national championship, and then on top of that, you can be, you know, top, you know, I. He's top. He's top three in my opinion. Yeah. I'm in this draft, so you can be top three in the NBA draft. You know what story? What story would would fit you better? Are you mm-hmm. going to wait to? You know, are you going to be a, a super impact your first year at Notre Dame or, or Ohio State, and then you have to make the college football playoff, and then you might not even win, and then you turn around, you go year two, you got to do the same thing over and over, and you're still in college, but yeah. you can do it right now as a freshman potentially win yourself a national championship and then you know ultimately you know ultimately leave you know for uh for the nba yeah and then when you really think about it also is if i'm Jalen Suggs, like if i'm his parents i look at the justin Fields situation right now he plays quarterback Jalen Suggs is a quarterback yeah the problem the the one thing we don't want to talk about or people don't want to bring light to being a black quarterback is not easy. In college football, Facts. your excitement, your your must-see TV, you talk about Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick, we can just go down the line of black quarterbacks that were must-see TV in college. They get to put their name in the draft, and it's tear them down, tear them down, tear them down. Ted or oh, put them in another position. <laughs> yeah, and you look, at, you look at Justin Fields. He comes into the season, arguably the best quarterback in college football. Like, the, is it going to be him? Is it going to be Trevor Lawrence? Now, all of a sudden, he's coming into the draft. They're picking apart him so bad, he might be the fifth quarterback taken. Parents are literally sitting here and watching stuff like this and saying, when their son, Jalen Suggs, what if you were in that position? You're not going to be in that position in basketball. You a straight hooper. Even if you, you have some questions about your game, you're a hooper. You know what you could do. You're going to be a top five pick in the draft. There's not going to be no tear you down for being a black guy coming into the NBA draft. 
But in the NFL, being a black quarterback, it's like they're always got to find a reason. And then what they do is they play with black people, they, they're mental, and say, oh, he's mentally not there. That's the throwdown on him. That's the narrative, right? He can't read the offense. He can't understand the playbook. He doesn't make the right decisions. He's not mature enough. But they're not digging at a Mac Jones who has a DUI to his name in college. But they're not, you know, they don't question his character. But now Justin Fields all of a sudden is like the fifth quarterback that could be taken in this draft. It's crazy to me. And then a guy like Jalen Suggs, your parents, they sit there and look and be like, look, son, this is what you could have to deal with. You go play football, but you go play basketball. For the most part, you're not dealing with none of that. You go in the hoop. Like you said, you got a year to win the national championship. Outside of that, you got millions to make. You know, forget our circumstance, but think about yourself. All you got to do is thug it out at school for one year. You could have went to the G League if you wanted to, but that pride of, you know, playing for a school, that college basketball feel, that is a little bit different. That college experience, even through COVID, that experience is still a little bit different. Some guys don't want to give that up, but that's kind of my thing is like football has to do something. And I know they can't one and done it because a lot of those guys won't be ready. We could see a lot more injuries. The longevity would be a lot shorter because there's just guys physically, we're not physically ready at 19 to go head to head with a 28-year-old grown man who's been training at the professional level, you know, putting on pads. He's been training at the pro level seven, eight years. You're not ready to go see that guy at 19. There are some, there are, you know, your Leonard Fournette's, the guys who are just athletic freaks. But outside of that, your average superstar in college football as a freshman still isn't ready to play in the NFL and take that kind of beating from these professionals that have been working, training. They, you know, they live the football life for seven, eight years. But I just wanted to get your take on that. So I just want to go, you know, the last last subject, talk a little NBA since I got a hoop mind on here. And, it, you know, it's kind of going to be, I'm going to let you drive the conversation. So the NBA, we're heading to the playoffs. Would have been a couple things that have popped out to you, like just some moments, some some storylines or something that you want to give, you know, light to that you've seen in this NBA season? Yeah, so the, the very first thing I want to talk about is the extension that Milwaukee gave Drew Holiday, um, which was something that was, uh, yeah, to me, it was kind of surprising. But, you know, I see why they did it. They had um, yeah, they 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 now they have their you know pseudo big three in Milwaukee, um, and I've always talked about Milwaukee in the beginning of the season, saying that they're going to take a step back and they're not going to go all gun ho crazy about the regular season. What they want to do is focus on the playoffs. They want to focus on certain matchups that they could be able to exploit, and I think that's this is what they're doing. Um, and, and providing that uh, that that extension to Drew Holiday, and then they end they end up trading for PJ Tucker. Um, mm-hmm. So now they're going to be able to play small. Um, they're going to give uh, uh, Giannis an opportunity to spread the floor a little more, um, get some uh, get some more paint touches down there, you know, with the shooters around them. So uh, that was you know that was good for them to do that. And now they're sitting number three um, in the East behind uh, uh, Brooklyn and and and, um, and Philly, who just took over the uh, top spot after uh, uh, Brooklyn's really? loss today to uh, Chicago. So, so let um, me ask you, with, with, I'm sorry, but with the Drew Holiday, and I don't like the pocket watch players. I'm all for getting as much money as you can. Mm-hmm. Is Drew Holiday worth four years, 160 million dollars? 
I don't know. Um, and you're you and I, you and I in the same boat. You know, I don't. You know, you and I don't like counting other people's money. Um, as far as you know, and and I, I was bad at that. Um, at one point when yeah. I was first when I was first in the uh, getting into this game, but you know, we we just don't know at this point. Um, we I, I do really want to uh, figure out how uh, much different this team looks in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know the past two years, they've been amazing in the regular season. Yeah. Giannis played at an MVP level, but for some reason in the playoffs, they get into a bad matchup and it's, it's a wrap. Yeah. Um, this year is different. Giannis is putting up basically the same numbers mm-hmm. or even better numbers than he did yeah. in his past MVP um, seasons. Yet they're still sitting at number three in the East, and you know we just don't know what they're going to look, going to look like in the playoffs. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they would face Atlanta. If mm-hmm. the playoffs start today, they will face Atlanta um, in, in in the playoffs, um, and I think that's a favorable uh, matchup. Um, I, I think that they they could they would be able to beat them. But um, I just feel like they strap themselves with this extension. I feel like Milwaukee strapped themselves and if they don't win this year, if they don't, they like, we're talking about a Milwaukee team with a Giannis who hasn't made a conference finals yet. And he right. has plenty of time. He, he, he has a legacy that he's building and he has a resume that he's building, but like for a superstar, he hasn't done anything yet besides right. amaze us with his numbers. And he's a great player. I'm not taking anything away from him. But we hold that hat on LeBron and KD and Kawhi Leonard. Even we we kill Paul George for not showing up in the playoffs. And he's not even on Giannis level when we talk about superstar. He's not even on Giannis level necessarily when we talk about skill set. Giannis, top five player in the NBA. We kill Joel Embiid for not making that next step. So if they don't make the conference finals at the very least, and I know Philly's balling out their mind, Brooklyn... Balling out their mind, no Kevin Durant. But my thing is, if they don't make the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the finals this year, you looking at next year, year two of Brooklyn. You looking at, you know, another year of Philly, year two with Doc Rivers in Philly. The the progression that you're seeing of Joel Embiid becoming an MVP player. Ben Simmons, he, he's we know what Ben Simmons is. If you can't make that hump this year, you strapped yourselves with cash paying Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. What would be the answer from there would be my question is like, with that extension, you're locked in on Drew Holiday. If this doesn't work this year, or even what is the answer for Milwaukee to turn it around? A new coach? Is Budenholzer on the hot seat with that? Yeah, it is definitely Budenholzer. Um, because we've seen what, Buda, what Budenholzer has has done um, in Atlanta. He wasn't able to get over the hump. Um it's the same thing is potentially happening in Milwaukee. He's not able to get over the hump. So you need to bring in some new leadership, some new blood um, as far as the coaching um, is concerned. And then you try that out for maybe, you know, uh, however many years it is going to be available um, in, in that big three's prime. I'm, we know that Drew is, you know, still young-ish, but he's mm-hmm. hitting a he's hitting that NBA prom point to where the wall will be closer than it would be for Giannis or a Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you you have to like this year is definitely the the year to if you're going to do it you need to do it this year because you're right mm-hmm. Brooklyn is going to be good for a while Philly could potentially be good for a while um, and you're just going to be fighting between those um, two um, those two teams for the next uh, three maybe four years um, in, in that realm so you know they have to figure it out. Um, right away um and and i think they just snapped a a losing streak um that they had i think it was like a six game losing streak that they mm-hmm. just had um but you know you just have to see where the cards fall um i always say at this point in my in my basketball career from a mindset perspective is you have to play the game and you know we always want to live in what ifs well guess what if we all had a fifth we all be drunk exactly. so I think at this point, looking at that extension, while it definitely kind of scratches your head, you still have to figure out a way. Well, they're still number three, Mm -hmm. right? And they're still only two and a half games from number one. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can fact check me on that as well. But I believe the last time I checked. It's like two and a half, three games. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half, three games. So, I mean, we still got a lot of basketball left, to be honest with you. So, you know, they could potentially, you know, um, you know, get that top spot. But I don't even think they're looking for the top spot. I truly believe that they're looking for a matchup that is favorable for them to win a seven game series. Um, and I don't know whether it's that that's between Brooklyn or whether that's between um, um, Philly. But as far as what Milwaukee needs to do this year, they need to do something fast. Um, if not, then Budenholzer is out of there. I think he's the most vulnerable coach right now in the hot seat. Um, you know, you could argue Brad Stevens, but I think Budenholzer is definitely that guy. Um, but at that point, you get him out of there. You bring in somebody, new, uh, a new fresh perspective, um, maybe new schemes for, for Giannis um, and try to get some cohesion um, with, with this current squad. And then you move on from there. Um, but until then, you know, we we have to figure out, uh, you know, what what's going to happen as far as when the games and the playoffs is concerned. Um, so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking about. Um, another thing is, of course, the obvious. Uh, let's talk about L.A. right quick. And I'm and what I mean by L.A., let's talk about the Lakers, you know, with uh, A.D. out with LeBron out. Um, you know, the Lakers have been struggling. Um, they just acquired Andre Drummond. Now he's out with a toe contusion. Um, we saw that Mark Gasol wasn't too uh, happy about about his minutes once uh, once uh, Drummond came in um, and and had that contusion. He played um, the fourth quarter. Um, and Dr- uh, I keep saying I keep wanting to say Draymond, but um, Drummond's debut. Um, so my thing is with LA is don't panic. Um, not at as, all. As long as you're, you know, in the top four spots, you're you're okay. Just just don't panic. Um, I, I've been seeing a lot of talk about, oh, what's going on with the Lakers? I mean, come on. Two of the arguably top five best players, you know, in the NBA right now, they're they're out. You know, I don't the, even think I, I I don't think they need to be in a top four spot. Uh, the reason I say that, I know we talk about home court, but I think when you look at the Western Conference, I think one through eight, no matter what, LeBron knows 
he's not anybody. He's not a guy to duck anybody. But like, absolutely, you're not ducking. You're gonna have to play the Clippers or the Suns or Utah. Like, you're not going to the finals without playing one of, if not two of those teams. You know, I think LeBron is. You know, LeBron's taking as much time as needed. His mindset is once we get all we need to do is get there. We will figure out being, you know, a seven game, game seven away, game seven home. I think LeBron at this point, his greatness, his mindset, he's all about championships. He'll figure out everything else. I think his main concern is his health and AD's health. If neither one of them are 100%, no back to back. I mean, that's just honest. I think LeBron needs AD. AD definitely needs LeBron, obviously. Uh, even with the addition of Drummond. So I just think LeBron is looking at it. We could be sixth in the Western Conference. I'm going to have to play one of the Clippers, the Jazz, the Suns, the Nuggets. Like, I can't, no way I'm getting to the finals without playing two of those teams. So I don't think he really cares about the position, or I think we'd be talking about LeBron would be coming back next week. That lost to, like you said, they are, they on a downward trend. So I just think LeBron is, let me get 100%. Let AD get 100%. We'll let the chips fall. Let everybody get as much experience stepping up in roles. Kyle Kuzma, Trez. I just think all his concern is all we have to do is get to the playoffs. I feel you on that. And the reason why I said kind of try to maintain the top a top four spot is exactly what, you, what you've talked about from a perspective of the other guys, right? Mm-hmm. We, we want to see, of course, we want to see Dennis Schroeder, um, you know, get to a point where, you know, he can be able to lead this team without, you know, the, the LeBrons and the ADs of the world. My thing is, you know, at least being in the top four spot, you are guaranteed home court in the first round. Yeah. You know, after that, you don't you don't care. You just don't care because that's one that's one team eliminated. And, you know, maybe that fifth, maybe that fifth spot is, let's say, the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. you know, um, because, the, I mean, everything is fluctuating. Everything is fluctuating. It's, it, it just we always talk about matchups. You know, what's uh, L.A.'s biggest uh, headache from a matchup perspective? Is it going to be the Trailblazers? Is it going to be um, is it going to be Denver? Is it going to be the Clippers? You know, so like if you, as long as you're in them top in that top four spot and you don't have to worry about playing like your most headache of a matchup because you're five through eight versus yeah. uh, one through four, then, you know, you think about it from that perspective from the other guys like THT, you know, um, you know, like a Kyle Kuzma, um, maybe, maybe, maybe even a Trez. Um, so that's that's why I think you know just maintaining that uh, that top four five uh, that top um, that top four spot would be a, just a little bit better for them just yeah. from that yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it it, it kind of helps, but I do definitely see what you're talking about because once AD and LeBron comes back, it's a wrap. So it's a wrap. Saying that, and you brought up the headache, a healthy Lakers. Who is their biggest headache in the Western Conference? Um, right now, like I who, would. Who's the team they don't want to see in a play in a seven game series? Who's the team the Lakers would love to be knocked out? And obviously, you know, like we discussed, LeBron's competitive. He wants to see the best of the best. I think he's tired of getting discredited for 
you know, the Skip Bayless. Oh, he ducked yeah. the Clippers. Yeah. He didn't. He can't help that the Clippers blew a three-one lead. You yeah, can't put that facts. on. He got lucky. That's not on him. It'd be different if I don't know they lost before that. But if you can't put on him, he didn't play the Clippers to win a championship, so it doesn't count because the Clippers didn't get the job done. Me personally, I don't really think there's nobody who's really a headache for the Lakers. I just look at their matchups. But but in your opinion, who is your who is the headache? Who's the one team they just don't probably want to see in a playoff series? I mean, it, I, I, honestly, maybe the only team will probably be the Clippers. But at this point, I mean, the Clippers. You just you just need to hope the Clippers don't clip. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, like the Clippers <laughs> got to hope they can see the Lakers. Right. Like, that's the, that's the, the only thing. That's the only thing. And honestly, that that's really the only team I could even see sniffing a game seven versus the Lakers. And yeah, I'm not saying that the Clippers will win it. I'm just saying that's probably the only team, um, just from a playoff perspective, that would probably give um, LeBron and AD some of, some of the most headaches. And then you got to realize – pedigree matters. Right. Right. And then with Rajon Rondo um, now being a part of the Clippers organization, come on. I mean, he was a part of the Lakers organization last year. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that's not somewhat of, of a competitive advantage just from mm-hmm. a personnel perspective. I mean, you got to look at it that way as well. So if I were to pick a team and really I'm with you, there's really nobody that can a fully healthy Lakers team. Nobody can rock with them in the West. But yeah. if I were to pick a team, I would still say more than likely the Clippers. They could they could probably sniff a uh, a game seven out of them. Yeah, and I I'd have to agree with you. If I pick a team, I would say the Clippers. We want to see the Lakers and Clippers. Like the whole world wants to see it. We wanted to see it last year. Right. And they were up three one. That's what we thought we were gonna see. Right. But we didn't. And like you said, the the pressure is it. The Lakers don't have to win a championship. LeBron James does not have to win a championship this year. So whatever narrative that people are having out there that all the pressure is on LeBron to get the job done, he want he came to the Lakers, he exceeded greatness. He won a championship. He did what every great has done. Granted, a lot of those guys were in their primes and were able to win multiple championships. He doesn't owe the Lakers another championship. If he can get one, that just adds to his legacy. But there's like a narrative floating around that there should be pressure on LeBron James. But for what? He Kawhi Leonard and them have to take that step. That's Kawhi more pressure came, for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He came in L.A. and deemed himself the king of L.A. And this is my city and this and that. The most we've ever heard from Kawhi ever was the offseason when he signed with the Clippers doing all those commercials. And, you know, he had the little dice in the in the in the windshield and all that. There's pressure on the Clippers. There's pressure on the Jazz to show that they're not a fluke. There's pressure right. on Phoenix to show that they're not a fluke. They right. got to prove that what you've seen from them in the regular season can be maintained. There's pressure on the Denver Nuggets. They just made the trade for Aaron Gordon to improve their team because they felt like they were missing something. All these teams are making acquisitions chasing the Lakers. And the, the Lakers same thing didn't really make the, uh... no moves. They grabbed Drummond. But that was it was a luxury to grab Drummond. Like you right, had to right. when he's there and he wants to come here for a veteran minimum. That's a luxury, especially with LeBron and AD being hurt. But the Rondo situation, the Clippers felt like they needed a point guard because Kawhi can't do it. Paul George can't do it as far as really facilitate for the rest of the team. They looking at their matchup against the Lakers. Denver 
added Aaron Gordon, we're missing something. They're looking at their matchup against the Lakers. Right. Phoenix, when they had grabbed Chris Paul, they were looking at, okay, well, who can help us improve that we can ultimately, when we match up, you, the the going to the finals, you're going to go through LeBron James. At, at any point, whatever team goes to the finals, beat the Lakers. If it's not the Lakers, they knocked off the Lakers. And so we I even, think everybody is chasing the Lakers. Yeah, and we even talked, we, we haven't even talked about the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And like, I just don't think they I don't think Portland can really get over that hump though. I think exactly. that's, my, that's my problem and, with and Portland they, is they can't and, get over the hump. And they have and and to me, this is just me personally, they have the most pressure out of all the teams. And the reason why I say they have the most pressure out of all the teams is because they have more of the two man guys that's been there since, you know, since the inception, you know, with Damian Lillard mm-hmm. and CJ McCollum. Clearly, it hasn't worked out yet. So Exactly. With the pressure, right, and and with the pressure of Terry Stotts, um, you know, after this season, what's going to happen? So just like you said, there's so much pressure on these other Western Conference teams. Like, literally, the Lakers are the defending champions. Like, what more, you know, what more would you need from the Los Angeles Lakers right now and LeBron James when LeBron James has clearly solidified his – his seal of greatness, you know, within his game and much respect to LeBron James for doing that because for him to do it with three different franchises and be the guy for three different mm-hmm. franchise franchises, especially with them with the most recent franchise in a historic one in the Los Angeles Lakers. My thing is just like you say, you know, what else would he have to prove other than Lakers fans saying, Oh, just keep giving us 19, 20, 21, 22 exactly. championships. He got Other the monkey that, off his back. Exactly. That I mean it's a rap form. So I think just like I said, you know, if I if I had if a gun was to my head and I had to pick a team, I I would say the the Clippers would would give them a sniff um possibly um at a game 7, but you know, ultimately I just believe that the Lakers is just um especially at full health they're just too much um, for anybody that's that's going to be in front of them. So that's, you know, that's my thing on it. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. But, you know, K. Lou, I appreciate you for coming on. I'm going to cut it there. You know, great talk. You know what I'm saying? We definitely going to have to get you back on Up in Flames. It's always great conversation when we get together. But, you know, as I let you introduce yourself, I'm going to let you close out. Just tell everybody where they can find you and some projects you got coming up that you that you're willing to reveal. Yeah, absolutely. So you can always check me out on Twitter. Um, I have a new Twitter account. So make sure you follow it at underscore K.3H. That's the new username. That's the new account. So make sure you follow. Um, Also follow, you know, everything um, under the 265 media platform. I just want to give a quick shout out to Daniel Artest, Will Lyons, Wayne Cole, Chris Mills, Zach um, Ramey. Uh, Jay Kristen, um, Lawrence Goggins, you know, the whole 265 Media family. Follow uh, 265 at 265 Media on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, you know, follow the rest of the guys um, under the platform. You can find everybody under the 265 Media platform. Um, A few projects I got coming up. Definitely working on the WNBA show. We'll be uh, previewing. um, We'll actually be doing a, a... a WNBA draft reaction show. Um, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, we'll also um, be doing a reaction show to what happened uh, 
in the national championship in the um, Stanford versus Arizona game. And then we'll do a reaction show for the Gonzaga Baylor game um, in, in the national championship on the men's side. So, you know, a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, always um, check us out on Clubhouse. We got different rooms uh, within Clubhouse and as well on a locker room. Uh, we have different rooms coming up there. Uh, the most recent room that uh, you need to look out for is on Wednesday. I will be um, a co-host with the uh, with Christina Williams Women's Basketball Weekly Show, um, and then we'll follow that up with me being a co-host for. Uh, the Lions Den with Will Lions under 265 Media. We're going to be talking about some of the best one and dones that you may have seen or have seen um, in your lifetime. So please check that out. It's going to be on Clubhouse. I mean, everything's good. I really appreciate you, Mo. Um, we always have a good time chopping it up with each other. And I just want to tell you, keep doing your thing. Keep representing. Keep, yo... Just just always be great at what you're doing. Be legendary in what you're doing because 2021 is the year of the legend. You definitely is a legend. You know what I'm saying? Yep, 100%, bro. I definitely appreciate it. And like I said, you know, we're going to have you back on Up In Flames. Uh, everybody knows where to follow me uh, at Up In Flames Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to the podcast, obviously, whatever platform you're listening to it on, Apple, Anchor, Spotify, uh, go to offtheballnetwork.com. Check out the great team that we have over there. Steven, Chris, Austin, you know, a lot of the guys, Jerg and our NHL guru. We got so many guys. I could just go down the line, go down the line, the shows we do every week. But go to offtheballnetwork.com. Check out all the articles. Everything that we do as a network is on there. Everybody's individual, you know, podcast page, articles, Twitter, everything like that. But, you know, this is another show of Up in Flames. And on that note, Up in Flames.